You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. Do you know about the biggest marijuana bust ever in the history of the U.S.? Or I suppose from a global perspective. Ooh, I, I do not know about that. Growing up in Utah, that wasn't front page. <laughs> it probably was front page. I just was in a bubble. <laughs> yeah, it's in July 2009. Law enforcement authorities confiscated 330,000 marijuana plants with a staggering value of $1 billion. Wow. And it was in Fresno County in California. Can you believe that? Ah, okay. Yeah, it was local, just around the corner from us. And it was called Operation Save Our Sierra. And they apprehended 82 suspects linked to the Mexican drug cartel. And they specifically planted it out here because there were less scrutiny in the US than in Mexico during the time. Mm. $1 billion of plants. That's a lot of money. Yeah, jeez, it's crazy. <laughs> I nearly couldn't believe this. But before we dive in, you had a little bit of a scare, I should say, last week. What happened? Yeah, I just came down with some COVID-type symptoms. Just all the things you think of when you think about COVID-19. And so that kind of gave us a little bit of a scare. You know, of course, I like isolated myself from the family and all of that kind of stuff. And thankfully, the test came back negative, but it's just the testing situation is just- It's appalling. The turnaround times are terrible and the process is very difficult and clunky. Man, we've got yeah, a long way to, to go on testing for sure. You had to drive like across the county to go and get tested and then it, anything between five to 10 days to get the results. I mean, how on earth do you quarantine or more importantly like track people you've been in contact with if you don't even know if you're positive or not that's just bizarre <laughs> it's crazy yeah i mean there's some areas where it's 13 14 days oh. to get the results and by that time the information's pretty much useless besides just well that was good to know kind of a thing you know yeah well i'm glad that you're okay and i'm also in a way not glad because if you had the virus and you didn't get really sick, at least you would have had some antibodies in you. And, you know, it's like a different game. Right. Wouldn't have to be quite so afraid of what's going on. But yeah, but you just don't know. That's the problem. You just don't know how it's going to affect you or the people around you, you know. So, right. I'm actually donating a lot of plasma again this afternoon. They're going to suck me dry, you know, antibodies, but drink lots of water. Yes. Yes. Lots of water. <laughs> it's definitely not a fun experience. I hate needles, but so I have a feeling you won't be deadlifting this evening. No, no, I won't be deadlifting this evening. <laughs> yeah. It's less draining in your body than giving blood because they just remove something from it. It's like giving platelets is very similar to what I do as well, mm -hmm. but still it sucks it out of you a little bit, just your energy. But I'm glad you're okay. Thank you. And now we are yet again recording via video. We're never going to record in yes. person again. Yes. It's not going to happen. Probably not. <laughs> not until the year 3030. Yes. Anyway, normally on the Marketing Rescue Podcast, we talk about specific brands. You know, we talk about epic failures and rescues. And we've done a couple of episodes where we talked about the legalities of something. And the first one that jumps to mind is the one that we did about marketing to children which actually we got a lot of really good response from our listeners. And that's why we 
thought of doing today's episode. So today is not specifically about a brand or about a failure or about a rescue. So instead of a brand, we're going to be talking about a product that's just in the beginning of marketing within the US. And as we're recording this episode, it's actually only legal in a very, very small handful of states. And of course, we're going to be talking about marijuana and the marketing of marijuana. Mm -hmm. And I just want to be clear, before we started rolling here, we said we're not going to have any opinion about marijuana itself, because I think that's irrelevant to today's discussion. But we just want to lay out the progress that's happened within the US as it relates to marketing, and more importantly, what is legal and how to approach it. Because it's in the infant stages right now, but it's picking up a lot of steam. We both live in California, and I'm definitely starting to see far more vehicles driving around with decals about wheat maps and a lot of other companies that do speedy deliveries to your household. <laughs> so I think it's worth a discussion. So as of August 1st, 2020, marijuana is completely legal in 11 states and in DC. And if I say legal, I mean for recreational and for medical use. And I think that's a very important distinction. Mm -hmm. In 31 states, marijuana is legal for the medical use and or it's been decriminalized. And what the decriminalization means is basically there's no arrest or prison time or criminal record for the first time possession in a small amount of marijuana for personal consumption. That being said, though, there's a very important keyword in that sentence, small amount. I think if you get <laughs> pulled over with a few kilos of marijuana in your trunk, you're going to have some issues. But marijuana is still completely illegal in eight states, and they are Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, Kansas, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Alabama, and South Carolina. And what's interesting for me by looking at that, it's not like it's all in the West Coast or all in the East Coast or all in the South. It's basically throughout the entire country where it's still completely illegal. Yeah. So depending on where you're listening, you may or may not be seeing some form of marijuana marketing. So today we're going to focus on how marijuana marketing is evolving as the question of legality also evolves. So rarely, if ever, does a product that's so well-known culturally go from having absolutely no marketing to being one of the hottest commodities within marketing. And you're really starting to see so much noise in the system about there's agencies popping up that are dedicated just towards marijuana marketing. There's all these other promotional companies and so many products now, especially within CBD is just really starting to see this mass mainstream proliferation. In part, that's due to the personality of marijuana changing and evolving along with the legal guidelines. So it seems from month to month, as we're watching, what used to be a huge cultural stigma is now turning into wide mainstream acceptance, especially with that push for first medicinal marijuana, and then leading into recreational approval. And with that comes the need for education and awareness building as marijuana growers and dispensaries figure out how to take their messaging from on the down low to over the airwaves. Yeah, and it is interesting because we both grew up with it being 
very taboo. It's not something that was legal when I was growing up in South Africa. It was everywhere, but it was still very illegal. And there was very stiff consequences you get caught with it. To where I am right now, where I'm literally driving around and there are cars all the way around me with decals on them touting 90-minute delivery to your doorstep. Yeah, it's like ordering a pizza now in California. Yeah, there's apps for it. You can have a reoccurrence. Before this, I registered and played around a little bit with Wheat Maps, which is a service in California where you can buy from multiple dispensaries, all the way from baking ingredients. You can buy stuff that you can make your own cookies with or bake with to gummies to stuff you can smoke to vapes it's <laughs> literally just endless with the amount of stuff that you can get but i think one of the most interesting aspects of marketing marijuana is that even though it's legal in 11 states and mostly legal in another 31 the marijuana production possession is still a federal crime. And that's the irony of the US, right? We've got federal laws and state laws. Right. So what might be legal in your states, like for us in California, is still technically illegal from a nationwide perspective. And I think that definitely impacts the way you market it, which we'll get into in a little bit. It's one of the interesting aspects of the American legal system that something can be both legal and illegal from a state and from a federal standpoint. And historically, states' rights have taken precedence in such cases. So a state from where you are usually outpaces from a federal level. And most specifically, the federal versus state difference in marijuana laws. It's been really confusing whether federally regulated domains can be used for the purposes of conducting marijuana business. So you have federally insured banks that cannot or will not allow legally operating marijuana businesses to open accounts. Hmm. So you have these multi-million dollar businesses that can't have a checking account or put their assets in the bank for safekeeping, right? Like any business would do. And so there are these stories of dispensary owners in Colorado carrying around millions of dollars in cash because they can't put it in the bank. And then that makes, of course any type of normal business transactions, more complicated. That doesn't sound very safe, walking onto the briefcase of millions of dollars. <laughs> That's putting the cliche drug dealer stigma into the trade. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me of Walter White on Breaking Bad, where it's like carrying these <laughs> duffel bags <laughs> exactly. and barrels full of cash. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so similarly, the airwaves in the U.S. are publicly owned, so they're a federally regulated asset, essentially. And that means that even if marijuana is legal in your state, it's probably not being advertised on broadcast TV or radio because, of course, broadcasters would fear losing their federally granted licenses. Mm -hmm. And people have tried to test this out. So a company called Neos that sells a cannabis oil vape pen in Colorado recently bought a 15-second ad that was scheduled to run locally during Jimmy Kimmel Live. Unfortunately, the station's license holder, EW Scripts Broadcasting, pulled the ad at the last minute after the ad had been, of course, produced and the time secured and paid for. And Olivia Mannix of Cannabrand, the marketing agency that created that ad, said that they were of course, confused about why it was pulled because they didn't show cannabis, didn't show people using cannabis or even show the product, the vape pen. And so they tried to like 
follow all the rules and have a very conservative type of ad. And yet, even with a very conservative approach, it didn't work. And so the question is, how and where is marijuana being advertised? How can advertisers approach this? It starts with maybe focusing on the how, so how advertisers are choosing to talk about their product in kind of these early stages. So let's focus on the how. How are advertisers choosing to talk about their product in these early stages of national adoption? Yeah, so despite POT's cultural prevalence, a lot of people still don't actually know much about it. And consumers are still on a huge learning curve about the properties of marijuana. And this is beyond the types of information that you might have previously got from your dealer, right? Because it's only as of recently that you could buy it from a credible source. And this represents a wide open door for advertisers to educate consumers about their product. There's a really cool study that we found on Conductor.com where it talks about education across the board. And this is not just for marketing marijuana, but it's very relevant to this, where consumers are 131% more likely to buy something after reading educational content about it. So to give an analogy there, within our space, the pharma marketing space, very often we would create patient material about a disease state, educating them about what's going on with them far before we introduce a solution, the drug from the pharmaceutical company. So I think this is also really important from an educational standpoint. And with a huge influx of new consumers, nowhere is the need more or greater for education than within the cannabis industry as it where we stand today. So Kenny Keith is the founder of Cannabis Club TV, and it's a broadcasting network devoted to the cannabis industry. And he said that product education is key, not only for standard marijuana products, but also for brands like Apothecana, a company making cannabis-infused body care products to treat pain and relieve stress. Apothecana uses their Facebook page to promote health and wellness through articles that they publish. And this is a broad range of topics, and then they intercept their own cannabis-related products into the mix. And that's nothing new. That's a pretty standard marketing tactic. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of people, even still today, that don't understand that there are a lot of different kind of derivatives from marijuana plants. It's not just the psychoactive part with THC, but there's also a role that CBD plays. So cannabidiol which is marijuana's non-psychoactive ingredient that's been shown to be effective in treating everything from anxiety to childhood epilepsy. There's a company called Greenwich Biosciences, which is the first company to have FDA approval for a CBD product, and it treats epilepsy in children. Which is huge, right? Oh, it's just been this massive breakthrough for epileptic children and something that's been really, really positive. And so even though there's this massive lack and scarcity of clinical data around many of the different potential uses for CBD, it's really being used almost similar to how like herbal treatments are used where people kind of use them for a variety of different things and kind of try it, but a lot of people swear by it type of a thing. 
And I think that's going to change and shift as there are a lot more clinical studies that happen. But of course, there's a big barrier because it's still a scheduled drug. It makes it very difficult for you to get approval to essentially do a clinical trial at any sort of national or federal level. But that being said, CBD has played a big role in making consumers more comfortable with the role of marijuana in our both recreational and medicinal landscape because the CBD portion is non-psychoactive and it's starting to be used broadly in a lot of different settings. So one of the settings is, for example, sports and athletic recovery. So we do a lot of weightlifting. Yeah, I've used CBD a lot on my feet. Yeah, it has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties. And so you see all of these CrossFit athletes and stars that are promoting it and weightlifters and athletes of, of all different types that are promoting CBD products for their anti-inflammatory and recovery properties. And I think that's where the education thing is so important because if you know nothing about marijuana or about CBD and you just see or hear somebody's using, oh, they're using CBD that's made from a marijuana plant, they're immediately going to go to a dark place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're going to go to just to like a place that it's not that it's not factual, right? So there's marijuana plants like Charlotte's Web, which is a very big company that makes CBD infused oils. There's a really interesting story about the little girl that they saved and it's named after her. But anyway, the marijuana plants they grow has zero THC in it. And THC is the thing that makes you high. So that gets back to the education thing. It's super important that the brands educate the consumer around the different degrees about the products and what they contain and what they're good for. And CBD cream has been amazing for me because I've got a lot of Morton's aroma and plantar fasciitis and my feet and both of them. And it really, really works. It just helps the inflammation to, to chill out a little bit. Yeah, and so that all adds up to this huge opportunity for brands that can find the way to speak to a huge and growing audience. Marketers are learning at this stage that education, not a sales pitch, is key. You don't really have to sell it. It's much more about just providing factual information and then just getting that information out in front of people. So brands are working to really shift the narrative from the stereotypical kind of stoner yeah. type consumer, right? Yeah. Like changing that image to more of a health and wellness lifestyle type message. For example, CBD wellness company Vitaleaf fills their social media feeds with educational content focusing on the health benefits mm. of CBD. And Mannix of Canabrand says brands should, quote, stay away from counterculture, cartoons, jokes, and anything that puts a negative connotation on cannabis consumers, not only in their branding and marketing, but also on social media. She says brands need to be educating people, informing people on a political level and advocating for the industry and all that trickles back to marketing. So we've talked about how advertisers are talking about marijuana. What about where they're talking about it? Like, what are the rules right now if you're a marijuana brand and you're trying to do what we're talking about, you're trying to get this educational content out, how and where can you do that? Yeah, and again, the rules differ from state to state and then also from this whole federal blanket that sits above it that it's just illegal, period, which just makes it really confusing <laughs> right. and interesting. 
But in 2008, a federal bill legalized CBD with little or no THC. And that's the stuff that you can buy, the creams, the ointments, the anti-inflammatory stuff. And there's zero THC in it, so it cannot make you high. And again, some of the plants that they grow is grown not to have any THC. In fact, if you derive CBD from a plant that is grown for THC to make you high, the quality of CBD is lower because you're extracting something out of the plant versus growing a plant specifically just for CBD. I hope that makes sense, but... There's a purification process you have to go through, right? Exactly. The plants that are grown for CBD are exclusively grown for just that, to extract CBD and not to contain any THC. But that gives us a little bit of a line of sight of what's coming, because if we look at what's happening with CBD, that's kind of like what's going to happen with marijuana now that it's becoming more and more legal in more states. So much like marijuana, the CBD landscape is also kind of confusing. There are gummies, there are edibles, you can smoke oils, and a variety of concentrations and statements of purity. And within the complicated landscape, the government and some ad platforms have taken steps to try to bring clarity to what is allowed and what's not allowed. The U.S. FDA has issued warnings to manufacturers selling CBD who claim unproven curative powers. Yeah, and I think as we think about this landscape, that's a good thing. Because previously buying this in the back of Best Buy parking lots, you don't really know what you're getting. (laughs) Specifically as it relates to the recreational side. But now, when I was looking at this yesterday, they certify the amount of CBD and the amount of THC in it. You can look at the ingredients. You can look at where it was manufactured. You can look at how it was distributed. I think it just provides a lot of clarity on what you're putting into your body versus buying something on the back of Best Buy. Right. And I think that's something very important to the legitimacy of any product, regardless of what it is. Similarly with like herbal products and things like essential oils, where there's a lot of claims about the curative powers that they can cure cancer or solve all of these different types of problems. We want the FDA to regulate it and make sure that there is accuracy to the statements that are being made. And that is one of, I think, the challenges with the rapid proliferation of CBD products is that there's also a rapid proliferation of claims related to the efficacy of CBD products. There's information showing that CBD is generally safe, and there have been some clinical trials that have shown in extremely high concentrations, like for people with epilepsy, where the concentrations are thousands and thousands of times greater than what you buy from any consumer product that's been proven to be safe. But because there is this lack of really strong clinical data on what CBD truly can be useful for and not useful for, this is a good thing. And so a number of digital giants, including Reddit, Pinterest, Twitch, Twitter, Amazon, and Google don't allow CBD ads because the claims are all over the place right now. And creative out-of-home might be one of the best paid advertising options, depending on where you're at. For instance, Koi, which sells CBD gummies and juices, has a branded RV trailer driving across the country. Well, where they can, at least. 
and, and billboards are likely legal as long as the CBD oil comes from hemp. But of course, state regulations differ from state to state. And any ads that are run can't show anybody actually consuming CBD. So you could show like a product picture, but you can't portray the actual consumption of the product. Yeah, and then outside the world of CBD, the National Association of Cannabis Businesses published a list of guidelines for advertisers. And these aren't laws, but they point to where advertisers are going as the rules are codified. So up front, the guidelines mandate are sets of required statements for advertisers, very similar to what you have, like with tobacco or alcohol industry, includes disclosures of any advertised products license, and include statements about age restrictions of the products, and include warning about the possibility health risks of consuming the products. Then they guide advertisers to include information about the intended effects of the product, including statements that experiences can vary from person to person, and then any claims they made that has not been evaluated or approved by the FDA. And then finally, there's a long list of prohibited content, things advertisers should not do in their ads, including... Well, promoting overconsumption of cannabis. Not a good thing. Makes sense. Suggesting that cannabis is entirely healthy or safe. Promoting recreational consumption in medical-only states depicting people inhaling, exhaling, or consuming products other than topicals, promoting underage consumption, degrading any group of people for their identity in any way, showing cartoon characters, toys, mascots, animals, anything that could be potentially drifting into that underage marketing type of zone, or encouraging people to drive after consuming cannabis or kind of normalizing that, making it seem okay. And also supporting the act of crossing state lines with cannabis products. And again, this is mostly the industry policing itself in anticipation of the government regulations to come, because it just doesn't exist right now, making sure that they're doing right by their audience. And as much as anything to help change the perception of marijuana industry, as they're educating about the products itself, getting back to the whole education thing. And as we've discussed before, the federal state picture is kind of like out of whack right now, but it's starting to take more and more shape as it becomes more legal in specific states. So the state-by-state -state regulations vary, but there are some examples, and by no means are these comprehensive, of how different states are tackling the problem of how marijuana is marketed within their states. For example, most states have prohibitions of advertising within a thousand feet of a school or a park or a playground or a recreational center, childcare center, library, or arcade that's not restricted to people over 21. Similarly, many states prohibit advertising of public transit or transit shelters or any public property for that matter. And Colorado was one of the first states to legalize recreational use, as many people know, and has been a leader in many ways out in the forefront for the industry. So the Colorado Marijuana Enforcement Division of Law Enforcement has put together some limits on marketing that include no outdoor signage of any kind, no mobile or otherwise location-based advertising, no unsolicited internet pop-up ads, no banners on mass market websites, no unsolicited leaflets or handbills. 
In Washington State, the State Liquor and Cannabis Board has created a set of rules that we found on programmetrics.com, and it's outlined like this. Hiring agencies to promote video and using search options like Google Ads is permitted. No sign spinners, consume provocateurs, or any other people advertising on the street to bring attention to a business. No inflatable tubes... <laughs> either <laughs> oh man I, I like those <laughs> flappy inflatable guys that flop all around that you see in the car dealership yeah. <laughs> no wrapped vehicles direct marketing is okay as long as it doesn't include any coupons billboards are allowed though they cannot use certain words or imagery such as leave or joint and of course, in California, where we're at, the rules include prohibitions on schools and parks, as well as no national advertising campaigns, right? So you can run it in California, but you can't run it nationally. No digital advertising on Google or Facebook, at least from a paid perspective. No advertising on TV, broadcast or cable, no print, no digital or radio, if at least 71.6% of the audience is expected to be under the age of 21. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting percentage. Seems a little bit arbitrary. 71.6% of the audience being under 21, right? It's very scientifically calculated, Chad. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, it must be at 71.6%. <laughs> No advertising in arenas, stadiums, state fairs, shopping malls, arcades, and farmers markets, where, of course, you're in those more family-type environments. And ads cannot include imagery that would attract minors like movie or cartoon characters. No contests or giveaways for cannabis products. And billboards on highways cannot be closer than 15 miles to the border or 15 miles to another state. A Massachusetts company put up a billboard in Connecticut where recreational use is still illegal, reminding drivers, I love this, that they could buy pot legally just across the border. <laughs> so, <laughs> so growing up in Utah, we always had these at the edge of the state because you could go from Salt Lake City and, and just drive west for about an hour yeah. and you'd end up in Wendover in Nevada where it's legal to gamble. Uh, and so there'd be all these billboards along the road saying, hey, you're only 30 minutes away from blackjack. <laughs> yeah, but then unfortunately, the legislators have indicated future rules will make such a campaign illegal. So Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And here are some of the strangest laws we came across. So Massachusetts prohibits t-shirts and novelty items. You can't have that paraphernalia, quote unquote. So you can't have a coffee mug with your brand on it. You can't have a t-shirt with your brand on it. None of those branded logo pens, any of that kind of stuff. So that being said, that's nothing compared to Delaware. Delaware only permits advertising in phone directories and phone books. That is just pure evil because <laughs> that's like a dinosaur marketing tactic that you're allowed to use. Unless you see a phone directory, you as in Chad. I don't even ever go to the online phone directories. I don't even know where to get one. I just Google a specific business or thing, right? And off you go. That's basically them really just purposefully 
making it as difficult as they possibly can. Yeah. I think in many states, like there aren't even print phone books in existence anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And in Connecticut, doesn't allow any lighted signs. So if your business sells marijuana or any related product, you can't have a neon sign up front. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is to reduce what they might fear with heavy late night traffic. It draws attention to your shop or people standing outside smoking in the parking lot. I don't know. Whatever the intent is, it just seems kind of odd that that's their guidelines or their law for that matter. You're not allowed to have any neon signs. (laughs) It's clearly not consistent from one state to the next. It's a bit like the coronavirus response. Very inconsistent (laughs) state by state. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) No order to it at all. So looking forward, how is the landscape of marijuana marketing likely to change in the coming years? Well, I think in the start, advertisers don't know what they could do or where their ads would be allowed to run. Right now, the main strategy is primarily organic. It's just get out as organically as possible through content marketing, influencers, native advertising, those types of things that can allow you to still get a high amount of eyeballs, especially through influencers. Influencers is is a big piece. And then kind of the second big thing is going through these delivery services and large existing e-commerce type brands to get awareness of your product and do it that way through companies like Weed Maps and Charlotte's Web and, and other types of product aggregators, if you will. And so that's changed a little over the years, but not as much as some would have hoped in terms of creating more of a traditional advertising type of an environment. And as we've seen a lot of rapid evolution over the last 10 years or so within the space, that's likely to continue as more states come onto the legalization train, not only from a medical perspective, but also from a recreational perspective. And then, of course, who knows what's going to happen at the national level If all 50 states legalize, it just seems odd that the federal government wouldn't follow suit at that point. Especially when they can put their hands into the pocket of all the sales. Tax revenue. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. I think that's just it. One of the largest factors would be national legalization. Mm -hmm. So many of the problems that advertisers face today are due to the differences from a state-by-state regulatory standpoint. And it's really hard to follow the rules when you don't know what they are or how they apply to you. It's super difficult to come up with a marketing strategy. But I want to make a prediction that within the next three years, you'll be able to have recreational marijuana on your subscribe and save of Amazon. That I can guarantee you. You'll get your 50% discount. (laughs) At some point. Maybe not in the next three years, but at some point, yes. I think it will be. There's no reason if it's legal and there's regulations that backs it up and the FDA are putting their wrapper around it, Amazon will take advantage of it. Yeah. I think once it's at the federal level, as soon as at the federal level it becomes legal, then yes, Amazon will completely disrupt the cannabis industry for sure. Yeah. 
Three years. As they've done with just about every other type of e-commerce <laughs> industry there is, anything delivery related. So national legalization would allow for the establishment of a set of governing rules that advertisers could clearly understand, drive standardization. If the FDA was truly regulating it, then you have a lot tighter control over the types of claims that are being made, which keeps everybody a lot safer. And right now, advertisers can't risk their ads showing up in states where marijuana is not legal. You can't really risk having the wrong types of ads being shown, even where it is legal. So national magazines, newspapers that are distributed outside their hometown or state, many other forms of advertising that can't adequately be geofenced and geotargeted, they're just off the table. You're really limited primarily to an organic first strategy supported by the strange patchwork of, of specific legal paid ad avenues that you have within your local area. And as legalization spreads, these changes more than almost any others will change the face of, of marijuana advertising, that being changes to standardization and a creation of standardization across the industry. The other factors is continuing research in education with the legalization of medical marijuana came standardization of the dosage and potency, which only now we're starting to see from a recreational standpoint. For the first time, consumers could really know how strong something is and what they're getting. To my point from earlier, what are the ingredients what's in it, how strong it is, and the path it took to get to you. Issues like purity and the place of origin are going to become to the forefront and basically be more important than legality of it, like it has been in the past. And for those changes, you're likely to see brands differentiate beyond the initial message, we can get this to you, versus this is organic or how it was made or where it comes from. And I think that's an important differentiation. So with greater adaptation comes greater choices and the greater choices will have a greater opportunity for advertisers to differentiate themselves. Yeah, and as all this happens, the result is the maturity of a fledgling industry. We'll watch the industry grow up before our eyes and what is confusing now will at some point become clear and what feels scattershot and haphazard will become standard practice. There will be a set of best practices that will be adopted across the industry. Nancy Whitman, CEO of Wana Brands, says that cannabis advertisers will shift from, quote, growth at all costs to creating viable, profitable businesses. And these kind of changes will likely bring the marijuana industry and the marketing of marijuana very much in line with the best practices currently in place to other highly regulated industries like tobacco and like alcohol. Whitman also thinks that moving past the Wild West era of pot marketing will create a better experience for patients and consumers. And she says, at the end of the day, superior products coupled with strong business practices is where the industry needs to head, which is very true. Yes. So I think one of the takeaways for me is if you are trying to market and grow a brand related to cannabis, whether it's on the THC side or the CBD side or, or possibly both, having a really strong organic strategy is super important. Being factual, 
providing good educational information, and then really taking the time to do things the right way in terms of ethically marketing your products is super important, not only for yourself as a brand within this kind of space where brand perception and industry perception is undergoing this really critical moment of change and evolution that's going to determine the path forward. And I think the more you see cannabis-related brands taking a social responsibility and an ethical approach, the faster you'll see this kind of opening up of the industry from a legal and perceptional perspective. And if we see a lot of companies that get sketchy with it like a jewel, then I think that's going to just make things much more difficult and continue the complexity for a much longer period of time. So I think it's in the best interest of cannabis brands to do things the right way, not only for the short term, but also for the long term of of the industry and for your brand itself. Which is true for any marketing, if you think about it. But it, unfortunately, <laughs> as we've seen in the show, yes. it's not always forefront for people when they approach marketing. Exactly. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Katsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.